compelling insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Hello, welcome back to the Patrick Madrid Show. Here's the number. If you want to be on the air, call 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Email, send them to me at patrick at relevantradio.com. And by all means, make your Lenten journey with your parish this year with Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass, sponsored in part by the National Center for Padre Pio. St. Padre Pio, I think it should say, isn't it? These free daily videos are bite-sized explorations of prayers and postures that will transform your perspective on the Mass and re-energize your parish community. Pray fast and serve these 40 days with 40 lessons with Father Rocky's weekly Eucharistic encounters. Sign up and share with your family at relevantradio.com slash Lent. You signed up yet, Cyrus? Relevantradio.com slash Lent? Not yet, but I'll do it by the end of the day. You better, man, because these things are awesome. 888-914-9149. I saw something over the weekend that it, it's comical and sad, I guess is the right word at the same time. A lady uh, who passed away recently uh, in Shanghai, by the way, not that that matters per se, but she did not leave any money to her children in her will. She left $2.8 million to her cats and dogs. Equal opportunity there. So she had plans to leave the $2.8 million to her kids, but her plans changed. And the reason, she said, is because her children never came to visit her. So she had some cats and some dogs. She liked them. They liked her. Unconditional love. You know what I'm talking about, Cyrus, how the pets have unconditional love. Cat scratch fever. <laughs> oh, I should do that. <laughs> that just came into my mind. The one and only song that I ever did that was even slightly interesting. I never really liked that song. It was all over AM radio back in the day. On KFJ, by the way, or KHJ, by the way. So her name, uh, Mrs. Liu, Shanghai. In her new will, she insisted that all the money be used to care for her pets. That's a lot of pet care. You can get a lot of pet care for $2.8 million. I'll tell you that. Yeah, this is it. It's the guitar riff that made the song. That's what made the song. All right. Put it back in the box. It was, you know, the rock and roll party song when it came out. Oh, we, do you want to talk about $2.8 million of, of pet care, Cyrus? That's a lot of pet care. That's a lot. Just think of all the, the little furry toys you can buy for that. And cats are notoriously selfish. So you know that they're not going to share any of that. They inherit- share, yeah. They're not going to share that inheritance. Yeah. I I don't want to even want to say my feeling about any animal because I don't want to offend anybody. Um, but I would personally not leave $2.8 million to, to pets. So she said she wanted to leave all her money directly to her pets. Um, but that's not legal in China. Uh, So an official from the Will Registration Center headquarters in Beijing said, yep, that's not legal. However, there are alternatives to solve this issue, according to that functionary. Mrs. Liu's current will is one way, and we would have advised her to appoint a person she trusts to supervise the vet clinic to ensure the pets are properly cared for. Another official of the agency said that they alerted Mrs. Ms. Liu to the risks of putting all her money in the hands of a veterinary clinic. By the way, I'm quoting from a, an article in the New York Post by Frank Chung. Reminds me of a band called Wang Chung. 
back in the 80s. Couple of hits, not very much. Got some play on MTV and that was about it. Uh, but that's a different person. So we told Auntie Liu, um, Mr. Chung said, he, he quotes in the, in the article, we told Auntie Liu that if her children changed their attitude toward her, she could always alter her will again. According to the newspaper, the story has generated lively online discussion in China and now lively radio discussion in the, these United States. How did, there, there it is, yeah. Uh, what is it? Wang Chung tonight? Let's Wang Chung tonight. Everybody have fun tonight. <clears throat> Everybody have fun tonight. It's the one band that I ever heard use their own name in their own song. Self-referential. Very good marketing. <clears throat> All right. That was actually better than, way better than Cat Scratch Fever. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. All the Motorhead people are turning off the radio because it's like, please. Um, how disappointed and heartbroken she must have been to make the decision not to leave anything to her children, one user wrote online. It's not the first time a pet has been the beneficiary of generous inheritances. In 2020, a wealthy businessman in Tennessee left $5 million to his eight-year-old border collie, Lulu, and uh, British fashion designer Alexander McQueen, who died in 2010, famously left $97,000 of his $31 million fortune to his beloved dogs. And the names of the dogs, by the way, in case you're interested, Minter, Juice, and Callum. I don't know what to make of this other than it's, it's sad that her children ignored her, at least to the point where she decided to do this. And what a waste of money. I mean, pets are great. We have pets. You have a pet, Cyrus. I think most people have pets or have had pets. They're great. Love them. But they're not people, and they can't do anything with that money. The, even the concept of money is entirely beyond their ability to comprehend. So I have an idea. Let's make sure that everybody knows that if you, if, if you die, sadly, in a situation where maybe all your family has predeceased you and that happens sometimes or there's a situation where just there were never any children or anything like that um don't leave it to your pets because they can't do anything with it the pet food companies will love that but the pets they don't care one way or the other as far as the money is concerned they'll miss you but the the money is irrelevant to them so relevant radio speaking of relevance relevant radio would be a great place to leave some of that hard-earned uh, patrimony. Don't you think, Cyrus? Wouldn't that make? Wouldn't that be a better way of spending that money? It makes a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. I think so. <coughs> I'm trying to remember what the other Wang Chung song was. <laughs> that was one. Don't, you don't have to think about it. I think there might have been. Put it one out of your mind, one. Patrick. Oh, I know. I'm confusing them with the Thompson Twins. They had a couple of hits too. I think Wang Chung only had that one hit. 888-914-9149. Uh, I have a note here. This this took me by surprise when I read it, but here goes. This is from Leticia. She's listening in the Midwest. I'll just put it that way. She says, is it okay for a priest to dress a snowman with a chasuble? You know, like a snowman out in front, I guess. And by the way, a chasuble, for those who are not familiar, that's the name of the outer vestment that the priest wears at Mass. So it kind of looks in a way like a poncho. If you think of it that way, there's a hole in the, in the top center where his head comes through and then the sides are open, comes down long in the front, long in the back. That's the outer garment, the outer vestment that priests and bishops wear. Now, the deacons wear something similar. It's called a dalmatic. Same idea, but it's shaped differently. 
And it settles, but you can tell, if you know what you're looking for, you can tell a deacon versus a priest up in the sanctuary. But for the priest, that vestment is known as the chasuble. So Leticia asks, is it okay for a priest to dress a snowman with a chasuble and take a picture of him and the snowman wearing a red chasuble and posting it on his homepage on Facebook? Everyone seems to think it's funny. Personally, I think it's offensive and disrespectful. Am I wrong to think this way? No, ma'am, I don't think you're wrong to think that way. I mean, these are sacred objects for a sacred purpose, the holy sacrifice of the Mass. That's the, the time when a priest would wear a chasuble. And the holy sacrifice of the Mass is not something funny or to be made jokes about, don't you think? I know you agree with me. It just boggles my mind that he would be so light-minded and superficial to think that that would be funny. So no, I don't think you're wrong to feel the way you do. And I have to Wonder about the people who do think that that's so funny. Hmm, why would they think that? Uh, Jessica asks, listening on the Relevant Radio app, I've been invited to give a presentation on divine mercy to a group of elementary school kids at a local parish. As part of this, I should make sure they have a clear understanding of what mercy is. I'm having trouble coming up with how to explain it. I could use your help. Well, I'll do my best, Jessica. I would propose that when you talk to the kids, and you said grade school, so it's I mean, are these first graders or are they eighth graders or fifth graders? I suppose it would matter depending upon the ages. But you could maybe say something simple like, you know, give an example. If somebody commits a crime, let's say somebody robs a bank. What should happen to that person if he gets caught? And all the kids' hands are going to go up and they're all going to say, he should go to jail. And you could say, right, because he committed a crime he did something really wicked, and if he gets caught, then you're right. That's the punishment that people get if they do a crime like that, and that's called justice. And the kids will say, oh, justice. Can you say justice? Yeah, justice. What does justice mean? Justice means that you get what you deserve. You do something bad. You rob a bank. You do something bad. And justice is that you have to be punished for what you did wrong. There's, there's a price to pay, in other words. So if your mom told you, clean up your room, or you're going to have to go to bed early tonight as your punishment because you didn't clean up your room, what would happen if you didn't clean up your room? Well, your punishment would be you'd have to go to bed early. Or maybe, you know, unless you do your chores today, you're not going to get dessert after dinner. That's your punishment. Do your chores, you get dessert. Don't do your chores, you don't get dessert. That's a punishment. And the kids will understand that. And chances are, hopefully at least, they've been through that in their own existence, their own lives. So then say, what if somebody robbed a bank, but then was sorry about it and came back to the bank and said to the manager, I'm sorry I robbed your bank. I'm really sorry I shouldn't have done it. Here's the money that I stole. What would justice say for that person? What, would, what, what should happen to that person? Even though he's sorry, and that's good, and even though he brought the money back, and that's good, he still did a crime, didn't he? And the kids will say, yeah, he did. So if you're doing justice, what should still happen? And they will probably say he should go to jail. Yes, exactly. But mercy is where the bank manager says to the man who stole the money, you're sorry about it, and you brought the money back, and tell you what, I'm going to forgive you. 
and I'm not going to give you what you deserve, which is to call the police and they arrest you and they put you in jail because that's the punishment. That's justice. That's you, where you get what you deserve. Instead, because you're sorry and because you brought the money back, I'm going to give you mercy, which means you don't get what you deserve. What you deserve is punishment, going to jail. But I'm not going to give you that. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve, and that's I'm going to let you go. I'm going to give you a second chance. You're not going to get punished. If you talk about these weighty topics like justice and mercy and all these things, if you, in my experience at least, if you talk to kids at that level, they'll get it. It'll click because it, they can make sense of that. They can relate to that. And then you just kind of drive home the idea of justice is where you get what you deserve. Mercy is where you don't get what you deserve. And things like that. So it doesn't have to be complicated. If you want to add a little you know, substance to your conversation, because what I just said you could say in two minutes, but you could add, maybe do a word search in Scripture and pick out four or five verses about mercy, things that Jesus said, for example. You know, come unto me, all you who are heavily, heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Well, heavily burdened by what? Well, it could be suffering, it could be difficulty in life, it could also be the weight of your sins. You could talk about that. And Jesus said, come to him, and, and he will take this weight off you. And by the way, kids, how do we do that? Well, we go to confession. Exactly. So you could do some catechesis woven in there as well. I would recommend, Jessica, that you talk about it like that. <clears throat> it's relatable, it's simple, and it paves the way for taking them deeper. And I have a, I have a feeling that if you spend, I don't know, five, ten minutes talking about it at that level, there'll be a lot of questions, and then you can go in all kinds of different directions. Thanks for that email. I hope that's helpful to you. 888-914-9149. Let's go to Jeff in Clinton Township, Michigan. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Pat. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Great, thank you. Well, I have uh, been listening to your show for the last six or seven months. I came across it and uh, have been most free every day. Thank, thank you. you for what you've done. Um, I have come back to the church after uh, many years away and am on a spiritual journey. Um, and Welcome I home. Have, uh, well, thank you. <laughs> I'm happy for you. That's great. That. Um, but I'm embarrassed to say that uh, I've been very ignorant about my religion uh, over the years. I've been baptized. I've been, uh, I've gone through, uh, I've been converted. Okay. Uh, and so uh, the question that I have is that, uh, I was married twice okay. uh, in the Catholic Church the first time, did not get an annulment, and then was married a second time by a non-denominational pastor, my second wife, but then also divorced. Okay. Um, I have, uh, if I were to marry again... Are you, can I interrupt if I may? Are you still married to the second woman? No, I am not. Okay, We've so you're not her. with, uh, both are out of, okay, got it. Okay. So if I were to marry uh, again, uh, I'd want it, or, or being in a relationship with a, a woman and being married, uh, I'd want to have that blessed by the church. If she's not a Catholic herself, would the church still bless that marriage? 
Possibly. Um, so there are a couple of preliminaries. Let's talk about those for a moment. Actually, you know what, Jeff, just because this topic might require a few more minutes than I got before the break, do you mind holding for a moment and I'll take a break and I'll come back and we'll start up again where we left off? That's like a plan, Patrick. Okay, it's good. So we're going to come back to you, Jeff, and your question about marriage and a possible future marriage. And uh, by the way, if you get a busy signal right now when you're calling in, uh, just keep hitting redial. Um, the lines are filling up, but uh, if you call now, we might be able to get you on the air. 888-914-9149. That line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Stay right there because I'll be right back to answer Jeff's question right after this. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash forester. An Illinois life insurance company not available in all states. When I, you, and everyone when you, you yeah, 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 yeah. That's called dance hall days. Wang Chung. I think I went to high school with that guy. <laughs> he was really good in soccer. No, it's different, Wang Chung. How um, fast are the listeners with sending in emails? Like, well, actually, fast. Wang Chung's hit first hit. <laughs> was, this came in from the Steve. Should I say his last name? Yeah, he puts it in there like I should read it. So, the Steve Mraz in Geneseo, Illinois. That's cool. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, I appreciate that. I forgot. I, I totally forgot about this band entirely. But that's actually a nice little tune. That's a jaunty little song. Better than, um, what's the other one? Wang Chung All Night? I never had much use for that one. No. I, I would enjoy doing a show sometime, not today, where I'll, I'll just haphazardly fit in as many song titles into my commentary in the course of a, th a three-hour show. We'll see how many I could slip in. I won't do it today. Don't you do that every day? <laughs> I do it. Yeah, I, I do do it. 888-914-9149. Um, We're going to go back to Jeff in Clinton Township, uh, Michigan. Jeff, thank you again for your patience. So You're for welcome. those just tuning in, you had mentioned that you're back to your faith. This is awesome. You've made a return to your Catholic faith after a life of being away from the faith, away from Jesus for some time. Correct me if I'm wrong about any of this. And that in that time, you got married once. The first time ended in divorce. You got married a second time. And now you're not with the second wife anymore. And you're thinking about, well, in the future, would I be able to get married? Would the church bless that? And I that's about as far as we got before we had to take a break. Did I miss anything? Anything you want to add to that? No, the only thing is, is that I've, I've been a religious person. It's just that I'd gone away from the church and went uh, to a non-denominational church. I see. Uh, pray every day, uh, but this is in the back of my mind at this point in time. Uh, I'm seeing a woman, but I want to be upfront with her about mm -hmm. how I feel and where I, if something were to get more serious or the relationship get more serious, that, you know, I want to be upfront with her yeah. about how I feel, where I want to be. And that's the right way to do it. That's, that's you know, that's the classy and, and good way to do it. So, well, I mentioned some preliminaries. If I may ask a couple of questions, it will help me offer a thought. 
So the, in the first marriage, you yourself, of course, were baptized Catholic. You received your first Holy Communion, I presume, when you were a kid, probably were confirmed. Yep. Okay. Yes. What about the first marriage? Was that lady Catholic also? Yes. Okay. Were you married in the church? Yes. Okay. So that that's what I need to know about that marriage. Second marriage, you, I'm presuming, did not get married in the church. Did not. Okay. So let's look at the first one. So the first one has is in the status the church would presume that that marriage is valid. And I say is because if it's valid, then you're still married in the eyes of God in the church to that first wife. Now, I understand that maybe the relationship is so far past saving that maybe you could never actually live with her again together. But that's the thing to remember is the church presumes the validity of a marriage until it can be shown or unless it can be shown otherwise, that it was null. So this is where this what, what's commonly known as the annulment process will be important because this is your petition to the church asking the church with her experts in canon law and marriage and sacramental theology and and all the other things that come to that, that play into this issue to look at this and and determine whether or not that first marriage was valid and if it was valid then the church would say well you're still married therefore that second marriage didn't count and no future marriage for you because you're still validly married. Now, it's possible if that first lady died, for example, you would be free. So that's not the ultimate only scenario, but if she's still living, then that's one possible outcome. The church could say, after investigation, consideration, examining the evidence, we can't see any reason to say that that marriage was null. That's one outcome. The other outcome, which is far more likely, is the church would say there was an impediment or there were impediments in place at the time of your first marriage. Nothing that happened after that matters. I mean, something that happens afterward could be symptomatic of a problem that existed at the time of the marriage. But let's say infidelity 10 years down the road or something like that happened. That doesn't, that's not grounds for an annulment. That, that would be just a very difficult situation, to put it lightly. But what the church is looking at here is what were the circumstances when you got married? Was there any concealment of super important information that the other party didn't know? Like she had had a hysterectomy and never told you, and, and you thought you would have children, but she held this information back, things like that, and other things besides. So if the church, after its um, due diligence, renders a declaration of nullity, then you would know with moral certitude that that first marriage was null. Then you're looking at the second marriage now. Now, it, um, it almost certainly was null, no, no question about it, because as a Catholic, you have an obligation to get married according to the church's form, which is, that's why I asked you, did you get married in the church and so on. Without the canonical form, according to the church's law currently, marriage is invalid for a Catholic. So that would be a much faster process. That would be much more pro forma. You'd still need to inquire, and the church would, would do a much more streamlined, if we could call it that, um, investigation, because lack of form is, it's almost like an open and shut case. And I'm not a canon lawyer, so I'm just speaking colloquially about how this would very likely go. 
if the church in that second marriage or attempted marriage said, you know what, that one too, lack of canonical form, invalid, okay, then you are free and clear. You would be free to pursue marriage with the lady that you're with now or that you're at least, you know, thinking about this or some other lady. So you would be free to pursue marriage. And obviously, I mean, from what you're telling me, you're going to do it the right way. You're going to get married in the church and so on. So that's all good. But you would need to do those two first things in order to find out if you're eligible to get married. And the process is not unduly long. It's not unduly complicated. And your parish priest, you know, your pastor at your local parish, he can help you start the paperwork and get that going. Great. One follow-up question on that Yeah, sure. um, Yes, of course, I would want to be married this time if I were to get married again in the Catholic Church. The question that I have, if it wasn't in the Catholic Church because she's not Catholic, uh, would it be possible for the Church to still bless it? Um, yes and no. I, we can say it depends, maybe be the right way to, to answer it. If you were to get married, let's say, in her Lutheran church or wherever, does she go to church somewhere? Uh, she's a Methodist. Methodist, okay. So let's say because of the pressure from the family or whatever, you decide, okay, we'll get married in the Methodist church. If you do that, that would be an invalid marriage because you have to have, as a Catholic— you have to get married in a Catholic church, and that marriage has to be witnessed by a bishop, priest, or deacon, and then formally blessed by the bishop, priest, or deacon. That's what's referred to as the canonical form. Now, there are extenuating circumstances, and your bishop could grant you a dispensation. He might say, well, under the circumstances, okay, I'll give you a dispensation to get married at the Methodist church, but we'll have Father McGillicuddy be there and he will witness the marriage. I mean, everybody there will think that it's the Protestant minister who's conducting the ceremony, but by Father McGillicuddy being there, he can witness the marriage in the name of the Catholic Church, and he can bless your marriage in the name of the Catholic Church, in which case you'd be fine. It would be a valid marriage, but you'd need your bishop's permission to do that. If you just went ahead and did it without asking permission, then it would be an invalid marriage. So ideally... If this lady is is open to the possibility of getting married in the Catholic Church, it would not require that she become Catholic, by the way. That would be ideal, but it's not required. Okay. That was the follow-up question that I had in that respect. Yeah. Just circle back, if we could Mm -hmm. circle back, one one question, and someone has told me this before, that my first marriage, it was witnessed by a priest— However, we the ceremony was performed outside. It wasn't performed in the church uh, at the altar. And where so, was it performed? Well, we don't perform it, but I know what you mean. Um, where did it take place? It took place in a garden uh, at a very nice uh, venue uh, here in the okay. metropolitan area. So it was sort of like in a in a beautiful garden setting, and there was a mm, you know some sort of background that you were married in yeah. front of. Yeah. Like in the movies, yeah. we see that all the time. And the free to do it that way. Uh, was he an actual Catholic priest at a Catholic parish in your diocese? Yes, he was. Okay. 
So the question there would be, that's not exactly, the, that's not the canonical form because you're not getting married in a Catholic church. But as I, as I alluded to a minute ago, there are extenuating circumstances where that could be waived, that requirement could be dispensed. So mm -hmm. it's possible that the priest who celebrated your, who, who witnessed your wedding, because after all, the bride and the groom confer the sacrament upon each other if they're both baptized. The priest is there to witness the sacrament and bless it. But in any case, it's possible that he just sent in a, a you know an email or a note to the bishop and said, "We've got this couple. They're getting married. They'd like to get married in this in this park." He, in other words, he may have requested a dispensation and received it on your behalf. So I would check with him about that and ask yes, him. I, I, and if he's no longer in the area, um, I mean, check with the diocese. Check with the diocese. Okay, to see if it was approved by the bishop, I would imagine, in that case. We have that was, that's my, my question. And, and the thing is that it, it's possible that that happened, but it would be important to know, because God forbid if he was playing fast and loose, and you know, inadvertently created a, a question about the validity of that marriage. I I don't know what the canon lawyers would say, so I would defer to their expertise. I don't have their expertise, but what, what I would do, Jeff, if I were you, is if the priest is unavailable, contact your diocese or that diocese where this took place and ask to speak to someone in the marriage tribunal, and and see if you can either have a telephone meeting or even a face to face if you prefer where you can sit down and say, under these circumstances, here's what happened. What is your, what is your canon law sense about this situation? And you'll get a straight answer. Great. That's very helpful. I appreciate that, Patrick. You're welcome. You're most welcome, Jeff. Uh, of a good book that I think will serve you well if you're interested in sort of delving into these issues. It was written by a canon lawyer. His name is Ed Peters, and he is a... Uh, professor of canon law at Sacred Heart Seminary in Detroit. He's also a civil lawyer, too. Not that that's important here, but the book is called Annulments and the Catholic Church, Straight Answers to Tough Questions. Annulments and the Catholic Church by Ed Peters. If you get that book, anything that I can imagine that would arise in your mind as a question will, will be answered in that book. Well, great. Thank you very much. It's very helpful. And like I said, I wanted just to be prepared in case this relationship that I am in moves mm -hmm. on. Uh, and I want to make sure I'm up front about how I feel about things now versus uh, in the past. That's wise. Yeah, that's very wise. Okay. And I you wish you to get there. So I would appreciate it. So I appreciate it very much. Oh, you're welcome, Jeff. Anything that we can do here, um, in the meantime, I think that book will be useful to you, and I wish you well, and may God bless you in the ways that you're seeking, and um, I hope things work out well for you. Thank you. God bless you, Patrick. Thanks, Jeff. Good talking. 888-914-9149. Uh, Cindy in Chicago, you're on the air. Welcome. Oh, God bless you, dear Thank um, you. Patrick. I just have to give a little input based on my, I came back to the church through Relevant Radio. I then came back to my marriage through Relevant Radio, and I was really connecting with this guy because I was away for like 16 years, 
as an anti-Catholic evangelical, thought I was free to remarry for many years. Mm-hmm. When I came back into the church, I thought, the annulment, right? Well, what I've come to learn, Patrick, now that was um, 15 years ago, okay. is that we're married until we're not. What I'm speaking, um, I have to say humbly, we've all drank the Kool-Aid. And the sacrament, I was, when I came back into the church, I was in a friendship with a man who I was very fond of. But when I realized I was still married, it would be like if I were to ask you, Patrick, do you want to go out to lunch with me? Or do you want to have a relationship? You would say no because you're married, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we have to do that. I had to do that with myself and this man. I am married until I'm not. But what happened was that I did contact my husband. We were married in the church. We're still living apart, but there is a lot of us that have that have gone this path and have suffered. And um, and just honoring that sacrament. And now this man, you know, every case is different. I don't know if he's canonically a sacramental marriage, but until he knows, or anyone else out there listening, until you know you are married, and God will honor that. Your, you know, it's a cross, just like Bishop Sheen said. We all get different crosses, but yeah. the sacraments and staying close to our Blessed Mother. And if I could recommend two books, please, and yeah. to please look up anyone in this situation, um, Mary's Advocates with Babe McFarland. I recommend that organization frequently, Cindy. Yes, and there's two books recently by Father Robert Altier, God's Plan for Your Marriage, and by um, a new one, Betrayed Without a Kiss, by John Clark. And it goes. I don't know that book. That's a fairly new one that us that have suffered through this annulment, and because now you know what they're coming to find out is that children of annulment. Um, there's a lot of abuses in the annulments. There just is. And they suffer as much like one quote is a, a guy that said, you know, that he was raised in a Catholic home. And uh, he said, you know, when the divorce went through, it really didn't rock my faith. But when the annulment went through, it just really rocked his faith. So there are a lot of us that are staying faithful to the sacrament. And there are miraculous reconciliations there are oh yeah it is just an amazing journey this is why cindy i i go out of my way to recommend uh, mary's advocates for that very reason and the default is always to seek to reconcile with your spouse now you may remember if you heard my conversation with the gentleman that i said the church uh, presumes the validity of the marriage unless and until it can be shown otherwise. That's why I was emphasizing to him that the one outcome is that the church would say, no, you are married, and you're still married. So that's always part of, of this discussion, as you're, you know, you're, you're adding your own experience to this. Uh, but that's always the foundation of this. And it also goes to the question of, are you free to become romantically involved with other people? The answer is no, you're not, until... The church makes that determination, but you, you have to remember too that he he didn't he did a lot of these things when he was away from the church, and so he didn't have time to give me the details about his first marriage or his relationship with that woman, and all those things. Those are sort of presupposed 
in um, the book that I recommended to him, Annulments in the Catholic Church. Well, I'm happy, Cindy, delighted, in fact, that even though you and your husband are not back together again under the same roof, although that's possible at some point, maybe, at least the two of you are living um, consistent with the presumption that your marriage is valid. I think that's beautiful and very meritorious well, in God's eyes. One. It, ju- it just takes one, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but those of us were called sacred standards. You know, if we were... Uh, It just takes one to get, and this is another thing that is so important, Patrick, and I wish I knew this. I wish I knew this back when I, I would, number one, I would have fought against the divorce. But when you are in that sacrament, it just takes one person to pray and get those graces going. For 16 years, I didn't know that. So a lot of people, and even our words are so important because when a Catholic, I mean, I'm having conversations all the time. When a Catholic gets divorced, you know, they're married in the church and then they get divorced. We automatically say your ex-husband or your ex-wife. It's like, no, that is still your spouse. Yep. I'm glad that you're on the same page with me, Cindy. (laughs) We agree. That is the church's teaching, and it needs to be heard loud and clear. Thank you so much, Cindy. God bless you. I'll be right back. This hour sponsored by Christendom College. Send your child to Christendom College's high school summer program, The Best Week Ever. Use promo code RELEVANTRADIO and get 50% off. Spots fill up very quickly, so apply today at thebestweekever.com. That's thebestweekever.com. Get connected to the conversation. Call now, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Patrick Madrid is on now. Relevant Radio. We're doing 80s today. That's kind of cool. I like that. 888-914-9149. Let's go to Tracy in Lakeland, Minnesota. Good morning, Tracy. Good morning, Patrick. I'm asking this question on behalf of a relative of mine. At the time that they were married, um, he was a practicing Catholic and she was Lutheran. They were married in a Lutheran church, and uh, but it was celebrated by a Catholic priest. Okay. just want to find out if, on their behalf, if the marriage was valid. Sounds to me like it. If not. Sounds to me like it would be because the, that would be why the Catholic priest was there. So when the couple, you know, the Catholic party and the couple, that would be your brother, I guess, huh? He probably took all the the necessary steps, inquired with his pastor, and the pastor said, "Well, the bishop will allow it if I'm there to to bless your wedding or bless your marriage, and etc." So. I think the the okay. fact that the priest was there is a sufficient indication that everything was done the right way. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Right, yeah. You. You're welcome. Thank you. And I mean, if it's a burning issue, is your brother concerned about it or is it just your curiosity? Um, yeah, I don't know that he was um, or even knows to be concerned about it, but okay. um, just on his behalf, I just wanted to reach out and see if, they're actually both practicing Catholics now, so oh, that's if great. there was a way to, to, you know, validate the marriage if it wasn't valid in the Catholic Church, no. Yeah. No, that's thoughtful of you, Tracy. What a good sister you are. My, just, I mean, again, I'm not a canon lawyer. I don't pretend to be. So if you wanted something really official, 
I would consult a canon lawyer, but based on what you're saying, it doesn't appear to me that there should be grounds for concern because the fact that the priest was there to, to you know, to officially witness this wedding and to bless it in the name of the church tells me that it's highly unlikely that he did that without also getting the dispensation to not get married in a, in a church. Hey, Bishop, you know, Mr. Smith wants to get married to uh, Miss Jones in a Lutheran church, but is that okay with you? I'll be there to bless the marriage and witness the marriage. Is that okay with you? Yes, Father McGillicuddy, that's fine with me. That's probably what happened. Okay, perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. Nice chatting. Uh, if you get a busy signal, just hit redial, 888-914-9149. Let's go to Brittany now in New York. Good morning, Brittany. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing okay today. Thank you. Um, so yesterday, my husband and I took our three children, ages five and under, to the family mass at our parish. Uh, we sat kind of off to the side, towards the front, but on the side pews. And after Mass was over, the priest approached us and told us that our family was too distracting to sit in that spot in the church and that going forward, we should sit in the back of the church so that um, we don't disturb him or other parishioners that are there to celebrate Mass. I was Mm -hmm. really upset when he spoke to me about this because it was a family mass. There were tons of children there. You know, that mass is dedicated to the people with young children every week so that we don't feel like we're disturbing other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I told him that, you know, I felt that what he was saying was a little rude considering my entire life I've been preached to that we should educate our children in the church as early as possible so that they can grow in faith and love and mm-hmm. grow up to be life for the Lord throughout their entire life. And I kind of felt like what he was saying to us was that we weren't really welcome um, because he had commented that, you know, while he's sure we do our, our best with our children, that we're really a very big disturbance. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. My question was, is I don't know if I handled this correctly by, you know, responding to him or if I should just sit in the back of the church I'm not even sure what I'm really searching for here, just a little bit of guidance. Yeah, how about a little affirmation? <laughs> I want to give you some affirmation, Brittany. You're, you and your husband, you have a, a young, noisy family. The kids are noisy at that age. You didn't even tell me how old they are, but I'm guessing that they're probably below the age of teenagers. Five and under. Right? Yeah, oh gosh, even more so. So, A, you guys are doing a great job. You're raising your children. You're open to life, first of all. You're raising your children in the faith. You're bringing them to Mass. You're diligent. So you deserve a medal for that, Brittany. That's, that's a good thing. And don't let anyone ever tell you that you're not doing the right thing. You bring those children to Mass every Sunday. So I want to, first of all, just affirm you and and praise you because what you're doing is good and right and pleasing in God's sight. I have no doubt about that. Now, there are people who are intolerant or they're short-tempered or they're just, you know, people who, who are grumpy about things like that. And that's life. Sometimes you have to deal with people like that. So my thought, number one, is the priest should not have said that to you. That's rude, it's disrespectful, and it's also counterproductive because those kind of unkind comments 
will drive young couples, young families away from the parish. And, and that's not what he should be doing. He should be welcoming people. So I advocate the following, that everybody be considerate to everyone else, so that the priest and the people in the parish should be considerate and welcoming to young families with noisy kids. You should see my parish. It sounds like a Costa Rican rainforest at 1030 <laughs> Mass. It is noisy. <laughs> there are kids chirping. and I mean, it's just amazing how noisy it can get. In a way, it's almost comical at times. But what happens is, if everybody's looking out for everyone else, the priest has forbearance, the people in the pews, they understand, okay, we've got noisy kids here with us. That's great. Praise God. We're happy these young families are with us. Let's welcome them, etc. But also the young families, and, and not all of them do this, but the ones who do it right are the ones who have consideration for the people in the pews. And when the baby starts up, mom or dad gets up, takes the baby out, the squalling settles down to bring the baby back in. Easy peasy. I think that's what kind of, I don't mean to interrupt, but I think yeah. that's what may have gotten to him because my two-year-old was a little bit noisier than she normally is. And so I kept getting up and down during the mass mm -hmm. to stay in the back of the church with her while she would settle down. Mm -hmm. And then, it, you know, when communion roll came, I just stayed in the back of the church because I figured at this point, you know, I can still hear the mass, but I don't want to keep walking back and forth. Yeah. Um, okay. That's reasonable. So, That's reasonable. And I'm surprised, given the fact that you did that, you clearly made an effort to take the noisy child out of the, you know, the main area of the church. I think most priests would, would be delighted by that if they were feeling distracted by the noise. So I'm surprised. So it makes me wonder if he was just having a bad day. And sometimes you know, when I, nerves so get... actually the, one of the first times we've ever had him as a um, celebrant for one of the masses that we've attended. So mm -hmm. I don't really know him well enough to know whether or not that was the case. I was just taken back because as a couple with three young kids we want to raise them in this but at the same time i could see how that would turn off someone else who is different than my husband and i and say well that's what i feel I'll return back to this church so yeah. i guess so i just want that... a little validation and a little bit of advice um so from what i understand you're saying that to give a little bit of grace to everyone and for us to kind of sit towards the back that way if i do need to get up again during mass i can quickly exit without well making. that's one strategy i don't I, I didn't recommend that you sit toward the back okay. you know for some reason for me that has overtones of you know black people have to sit in the back of the bus kind of thing and right we we don't want that that has no place in our catholic parishes so you i mean obviously you and your husband you determine what's best for you but no i would not propose that you sit in the back of the church if you want to great but you shouldn't feel relegated that you have to sit in the back of the church. That'd be up to you. And I am a big proponent of, if possible, to sit close to the front, if not in the very front, so the kids can see what's happening. And okay. from an early age, that's always a good thing for them to see, you know, rather than just hear it. They've got this wall of adults in front of them. They can't see what's happening. If you sit in the very front, it gives them that opportunity to to see what the priest is doing. But I, I want to apologize to you on behalf of the priest. He was probably having a bad day or maybe, you know, every so often you run into a priest who's just that way. Okay, that's too bad. But I think from what you're telling me, you did the right thing. 
and hopefully that parish will will warm up and maybe the other priests in the parish are not that way. And if it's just intolerable, then he gets his wish and this happy, bustling young family moves on to a different parish. And, um, you know, what a, what an unfortunate thing that would be for that parish to lose a good family like yours. So yeah. I hope that it simmers down. And maybe, you know, maybe, is he is he the pastor or is he just one of the priests on staff? Or is he a visiting priest? He's one of the priests on staff. He's not the pastor. Okay. Well, maybe it'll get better. These things sometimes have a way of getting better. But um, I'm sorry this happened to you. Well, thank you very much for your time, and I appreciate your insight on this. Oh, you're welcome. Hang in there. It's going to be okay. And um, Have a good one. Yeah, I'm just really happy that you've got your kids at Mass with you. Thanks, Brittany. Just as a little editorial footnote in the aftermath of that phone call, from time to time I'll hear people say, well, we don't bring our kids to Mass because we want to concentrate. I don't think that's a good idea. You know, I don't. I don't think it's a good idea because if your kids get used to not going to Mass and then suddenly, oh, why do I have to go to Mass? You know, that's part of the problem. That's a mundane issue. But as the Bible says, teach your child in the ways that he should go. And when he grows up, he will not depart from them. And as early as possible. So I advocate, this is what Nancy and I did, raised 11 kids for whatever that's worth. By no means are we experts or gurus, that's for sure. But at least in our experience, we brought our children to Mass from the time they were born. You know, we typically would baptize them at two weeks of age, roughly. And they were going to Mass every Sunday from that time forward. There's no reason not to bring them to Mass. Are they a bit squirmy or noisy? Sure, that happens. And if everyone's being considerate of everyone else, it works fine. You take the noisy baby, your child out for a little bit, come back in, everything's copacetic. But um, I, would, I would definitely advise against not bringing your children to Mass when they're little, for the reasons I just mentioned. Well, let's see. We we don't have time to take another call now, but we are going to come straight back to phone calls. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. We do have a line or two open, and I'm going to be getting to your, your email, I'm sorry, to your phone calls. Those of you who are on the lines right now holding, I'm coming straight back to you. 888-914-9149. If you want to send me an email, send it to patrick at relevantradio.com. Patrick uh-huh. at relevantradio.com. Huh? Uh huh. Uh huh. 888-914-9149. This is the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.